This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. with a dedicated weekly pod going to the heart of all things Saints FC. In true set-in-the-scene style, this week's pod covers Saints' first win of the season up at Burnley, reflects on one or two transfer rumours that are doing the rounds, and also previews next week's game against West Bromwich Albion at St Mary's. To help with all that, and not just because I have a little man flu, it's our own regular Tom, Dick and Harry. I'll leave you to decide which one is which. It's Steve Grant, owner of saintsweb.co.uk, Glenda LaCour, owner of League 1-10 blog, and Dan Sheldon, the Athletics dedicated Southampton Football Club correspondent. Good evening, chaps. Evening. Evening. Dan, a no doubt busy journalistic week. Um, I think I saw you also checking in with the latest batch of Solent University sports journalism students as well. Is that right? Yeah, I was on a... A Zoom call. I don't know how many, I think about 40-odd, I think, were on there, just sort of asking questions, although, as you'd expect, they were more interested in the, the guys working at football clubs than there was one writing about it, so it was fairly quiet from my point of view. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, as promised, obviously, last week, some interest in uh, reading via your work in the uh, Athletic just gone uh, during the week there, um, not uh, least on Joseph de Grey. So um, I know we've not done it for a couple of weeks, Dan. I know you're still uh, not totally sure what's going to be coming out this week, but uh, for those that aren't already subscribed to follow your work on the Athletic, Dan, where can they uh, sign up if they want to? Well, I just I think it's just theathletic.co.uk forward slash Southampton. That will take you to the kind of Southampton page. And if there's a story on there that you might want to read, then just click on it. And I think if you scroll down to the bottom of that to unlock the kind of behind the paywall thing, you can sign up to a free trial. And I think for the rest of this month, it will still be just a pound a month. For It depends on the duration that varies, but I think it's for up to a year, a pound a month, which isn't too bad, to be honest. It's not, absolutely. I mean, that's, not, that's not just to read Southampton, that's to read you know, all their coverage in, in America and over here. Everything, absolutely. No, brilliant. And... Uh... Glenn, of course, we undertook our first live TSP VIP event on Thursday for our TSP patrons. I, I, you know, I personally thought it was fun. Hopefully they did as well. But uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. And I haven't had any sort of hate mail or death threats or anything <laughs> like that since. So uh, I, I'll take that as a win. Um, no, it was, it was it was fun to put some uh, faces to Twitter handles. It was it was quite <laughs> nice, actually. So, uh, no, it was uh, an enjoyable experience and I uh, hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, no, totally. And uh, as you say, it was nice to be all together to celebrate the 12-month anniversary of romping to victory at Fratton Park last season, Steve. Uh, in fact, I think we were probably still chatting at the exact moment Glenn's best mate fired home the third goal about a year before or whatever. But, yeah, the feedback seems to have been good. So, obviously, we look forward to doing it again next month. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was, um, yeah, it was inter- interesting and, obviously, good to get kind of a wider range of um of opinions than because i mean obviously we we the four of us largely know what each of us are gonna are probably gonna think of any given situation um sort of having 
been on these for for some time now but yeah getting getting the patrons views of views of things is um is always interesting because you never know you might miss something every now and then absolutely absolutely no uh totally agree and uh as i said at the time and i'll, I'll say again thanks again to everyone who uh did make it along um if you're a patron that wasn't able to make it then the recording of the video is on patreon so just uh, go to your patreon.com slash total saints podcast site it's locked for patrons only of course because it is exclusive material so should you wish to watch it back it's there speaking of patrons i'm delighted to be able to shout out a couple more that have signed up to support tsp over the last uh week since tsp129 via patreon.com slash total saints podcast they are both johns john Howson and john fisher so a really big thank you to both of you for coming on board and helping to enable and inspire tsp to continue this season just lastly before we get going and equally as important um patron andy mintram also got in touch regarding uh, a virtual london marathon that he's doing next week um andy said uh, i wonder if you mind ben giving me a quick shout out tonight as i'll be running the virtual london marathon on sunday the 4th of october in aid of click sergeant which is supporting children with cancer and their families um what i would just say before i read the last part of uh, his note is that uh, andy's trying to raise two thousand pounds towards click which uh, obviously is a truly great cause um currently about 56 percent of his target so you if you'd like to support him you can go to justgiving.com slash andy hyphen mintram and uh, as i say you know from our point of view absolutely a great cause we wish you the best of luck uh, for next week Andy and I'll make sure that the pod contributes to uh, towards your uh, fundraising and the last thing that I wanted to just throw in here Steve Andy says Steve Grant probably owes me a few quid for WKD Blues I bought it uh, for him at Worldnet over the years so I assume you know Andy yes I do yeah we uh, used, used to play football together um, for the sort of online Saints supporters team back in the day there you go back when, back when both of us could actually run <laughs> I, I, I tried to play Sunday League this after, um, earlier today and it didn't go well <laughs> there we go so no totally brilliant alright well let's get going this is TSP 130 underpinned by our TSP patrons This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints got their first three points of the new season at the third attempt with a 1-0 win at Turf Moor. Our first top flight victory there since Mick Shannon scored the winner in 1971, also a 1-0 win. Dan, I know you're up at Turf Moor. Football isn't generally uh, about performances, it's about results, therefore uh, a really important one for Saints, but uh, probably categorised as both ugly and beautiful. Yeah, it wasn't exactly the best spectacle, was it? I mean, from my point of view, it was bloody cold. <laughs> I mean, I had a snood pulled up right under my eyes and a hat pulled down just above my eyes, so I, I, I looked a bit like a burglar, but no, like I say, the important thing was they got the early goal. I mean, I think I saw Steve... I, Please forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think he called the Burnley team a car crash. I may I may have got the wording wrong on that, but I mean, it was a very out of sorts Burnley team. And when the team shoes came out, you thought, well, they don't have a great record here, but they've got as good as any, any chance really to win. And the fact they got that Danny Ings was on target. And then from then on, it was relatively comfortable. They did get tired in the second half again, but Burnley don't have the sort of talent that Tottenham have. And that was evident in the fact that I think, but maybe for one chance where Alex McCarthy got down well, to make a save from Brownhill, there was nothing to do for him. But so no, all important, off, off the mark, three points, and obviously West Brom next week, which is another winnable game. So yeah, you'd like to think that they can take some positivity into that as well. Absolutely agree. And uh, Glenn, as, as Dan sort of said there, we know Burnley were a few injuries down, but you know there was still decent experience in the team when you look through it, the likes of Chris Wood, Bardsley, um, Westwood, players like that. Obviously, from a Saints point of view, you know it was a really professional effort, I thought, particularly away from home, and probably showed good reward for the hard work that we knew Ralph had sort of spoken about doing on the, the training ground for the week before it. Yeah, it certainly was. Having got the early goal, I, I thought that we'd beat these if we if we played football and if we didn't come down to their level and get involved in a game of who can kick it the highest because they would always be better at that than we are so we got the goal we played some decent football first sort of 15 minutes and then then it just came down to discipline you know we 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 kept discipline kept compact picked up most of the second balls and restricted them to half chances really um and apart from the one save McCarthy didn't have much to do he, he had a strange game actually he didn't sort of like look confident at any point but at the end of the end of the day he did what he had to do and yeah it was uh 
it was a decent performance with excellent performances individually, I thought, from Romeo and Vestergaard. Um, and Bed- Bednarek was good as well. You know, ev- everyone did the did the nasty stuff that no one actually likes doing, but everyone everyone did it. And it's something that I think you could have doubted in us after the Tottenham fiasco. Totally. But um, everyone got back on it, and and we deserved to win. I thought. Yeah, hundred percent. I must say, uh, sat watching it. Obviously, it was on quite late, as everyone probably knows. I've got two young children, so I can't really shout and swear at the television too loud. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of tutting during the game. I must be honest, and there was a lot of uh, just effing get rid of it when Alex McCarthy had it. But uh, I'm sure he knew what he was doing, Glenn. But uh, Steve, um, I just wanted to pick up on a couple of players. I know, um, yeah, we often sort of try and mix up the uh, analysis. Um, so I just wanted to talk briefly uh, to Glenn in a minute about Yannick Vestergaard, but obviously to yourself about Oriol Romeo. Um, you know, he obviously had a tough game against Spurs last week. We know that everyone knows that you need to sort of be up for Burnley, uh, the, the battle that you get when you go up there. So we spoke about that last week on the pod, of course, you know, about Saints were needing to be up for it. You know, he was someone that I felt did a really, really good you know, performance, um, really dominant and sort of measured game by him as well, because not only was there a lot of sort of um, defending and, and tackling to do and winning the ball back, but unsurprisingly with Romeo, he managed to do it without getting a yellow card as well. Yeah, I mean, he skirt, skirted it a little bit towards the sort of mid to latter part of the second half, didn't he? But I think, to be honest, I think that sort of game is perfect for for someone like Romeo. He's a he's a break, he's a destroyer, a breaker upper. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I think that get the game and I think Burnley's state of mind at the moment, I think, came very handily for us because they're they're not in a good place at the moment. All sorts of sort of hints being dropped by Sean Dyche every in every single press interview he gives that he's not happy with the lack of recruitment um the lack of signing uh trying to retain their existing players i think i saw they've got th- 13 of their current squad are out of contract at the end of yeah, this season right. yep. which yep. is absolutely extraordinary that they've got themselves to this position and i mean they've got a relatively small squad anyway and with six or seven players who would you would think would be there or thereabouts in their first choice 11 all out injured there was never really going to be a better time for us to go up there and and get a result and i think as I mean, as as you said i think once once we took the lead and obviously getting that lead so early meant that we could kind of settle down a little bit. Yeah. I never really felt that we were in an awful lot of danger. It was half chances, but there was never that never that sort of feeling of dread that you usually get when we play Burnley, particularly away when when you think, oh, God, we've got will someone stop the cross, stop the cross because we can't <laughs> deal with it. Stop the cross. But actually, the cross is I mean, Dwight McNeil's their best player by a country mile, but there was no real no real target. Chris Wood wasn't quite on it, I don't think. Obviously, Vidra's not a target man by any stretch of the imagination. So, really, there was there was nothing nothing out of the ordinary for us to deal with, and it was just it was just comfortable, and, and it was unerringly comfortable. I thought. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, just moving on to Vestergaard, Glenn, I wanted to ask you about him rather than Dan because I think uh, he was probably my man of the match, and I think with all due respect to all of us, he's probably been uh, you know fairly maligned during his uh, time at Saints. But you know, you called him out last week as being included for this game I think uh, you know many people will have done because we obviously uh, know what Burnley are like um, Ralph obviously thought the same and um, you know I think all of us probably agree he was excellent start to finish against the side that you know we know our physical up top with Wood and you know he won a lot of headers and he was very dominant I thought yeah it's, it's not it wasn't just that either it's his his passing off the ground is very good in, in the in the 20 minutes when we were playing decent football at the start of the game it was noticeable he was pinging the ball out to Walker Peters on the right hand side Bednarek, who was playing on his more natural side, was pinging it out to Bertrand and Gineppo. And it, it just it looked to have a better balance um, with Bednarek in the right hand slot. But the, the two of them, yeah, of course, of course, they're in there to pass the ball around. But the, the, the two of them, I thought, were excellent in the in the physical stuff. And they covered really well. Vestergaard, if you accept he is a problem, if the ball gets played in behind him, you know, he, if he was if he was good at everything, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be playing for us. So you've got to accept that with him, um, that, you know, if he gets caught on the halfway line and they play the ball in behind him, he's, he's not going to get back very quickly. But in the game, we, we, we seem to have a more sensible defensive line. It's, it's quite difficult to, to tell when you're just looking at the telly. But it, it looked like we were a little bit more sensible with where we lined up against Burnley. And, and that's, that suited him. And I, I thought he had an excellent game. There was one 
one sort of slightly iffy clearance but other than that I thought he was excellent and and to be honest against West Brom next week I'd, I'd leave him in the team I see I think it would be very very harsh to leave him out after that game I mean if, if we were playing a you know one of the one of the big boys with lots of small nippy forwards and stuff then you know you maybe change it but I think he deserves to stay in the team for next week totally I would totally agree with you I, I think um, yeah the thing I liked about it is uh, as you say when he gets the ball he, he tries to come forward with it he doesn't automatically think oh, I'll just pass it back to McCarthy or pass it sideways but uh, I thought he did really well and I, I would totally um, you know echo your thoughts about uh, next weekend um, up the other end of the pitch Dan unsurprisingly the, the winner came from uh, King Danny of course um, no player has scored more Premier League goals since the last start of last season than uh, Danny Ings has now 25 and 41 appearances when you actually break it down as Sky did last night uh, Dan it's uh, 24 goals in 35 Premier League appearances September the 26th 2019 a chance conversion of 27% you compare that to before when he scored 22 goals in 79 appearances and a chance conversion of 12% so he's obviously tucking away more opportunities nowadays but you know it wasn't just the finish it was obviously more the fact of it was a really good move. I think I saw someone said today that Saints had possession for about 40 seconds. Every outfield player except Armstrong touched it. Walker Peters obviously played a good ball. Che Adams made a good run, pulled it back. I mean, all in all, there was lots of people that contributed to that goal. Yeah, and even though Stuart Armstrong didn't touch it in the build-up to that goal, the one thing he did do was continue his run down the right-hand side, yep. which yeah. opened up space for Kyle Walker-Peters to essentially look up and pick a spot to pop it in behind for Adams to run onto. So... Armstrong was pivoted in that goal despite not touching the ball. But no, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Dan, he's just, you know, he's their best player by a country mile, isn't he? I know I said it on the pod last last season and Steve disagreed with me, but I honestly think if you took Danny Ings out of that team last season, Saints would be where Bournemouth were. He is that valuable. I mean, he scored nearly, what, 50% of their goals. Yeah, I mean, and, that and 100% just, this season. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's remarkable. And I mean, who was the next top scorer last season? Was it Prousey with five? Probably, yeah, I think so, yeah. And you just think, you know, God forbid he ever got injured, really. I mean, let's hope he doesn't get injured, because A, he's fantastic to watch. B, you can tell he's absolutely loving, loving playing football. You know, he's at his boyhood club. And what probably helps him as well is, you know, he is the main man. Everything is built around Danny Ings. You know, he's always going to play. He's got that. You know, everyone's always looking for him. Where's he going to run? And he's just so intelligent. Like he, uh, when he's playing like this, he is just an honor, like a joy to watch. Even against Tottenham, I mean, that first goal, the touch, the composure, the finish was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, as you can tell, I really do like watching Danny. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I think he's got, what, two years left on his contract. I mean, let's hope, you know, Saints offer him whatever they want, whatever he wants. You know, he's going to be worth to Southampton, he's worth every penny. Mm, so, yeah. you know, let's hope that they can get that new deal sorted out sooner rather than later before any of the bigger clubs start getting a sniff around. Indeed. A, a touch unlike Steve Grant on a Sunday uh, league game, I imagine, Steve. But, uh, yeah, um, what I was going to say, Dan, just briefly before I come to Steve, um, I saw something in one of the papers today um, that it said, you know, a one-man team question mark. Um, you know, obviously, I think when you look at the stats and the goals, it probably does feel like that. But do you think Saints deserve more credit? I mean, obviously, Danny Ings is paid to score goals. You know, as long as someone is sticking them in there, you, you know, you're right. We do really, really appreciate what he offers to the team. But do you think this, the team kind of realised that their job is really to win the ball, get the ball and, and get it into him so that he has those opportunities? I mean, I understand. I, I get the point, you know, he's paid to score goals, but so is Shane Long, so is Mike Lobafemi. And, you know, Shea Adams scored a few goals at the end of last season and has had some good chances. He's also paid to score goals, but none of them are. Mm, it's all falling on Danny Ings. So, of course, he's just doing his job. But is he, is it, are they a one-man team? I think that would be unfair on the other 10 players on the pitch because, you know, they all put in a fantastic shift. They all, like, you know, week in, week out. The first half against Tottenham, they put in a brilliant shift. Then they just fell away in the second half and Tottenham's quality showed. Um, so Ings, wouldn't, Ings wouldn't be able to um, do what he does if the other t- if the other members of the exactly. team weren't I guess doing that's what my he does. Yeah. And the good thing about Ings, from my point of view, is he does what the other guys do as well. Yeah, he will chase yeah. every single ball. He presses just as much as Prousey will press, just as much as Romeo will press, just as much as Walker Peters, Bertrand. You know, he does join in in that. He doesn't just hang around the goal line and hope for someone to pass him the ball you know he makes things happen sounds, uh, sounds familiar <laughs> <laughs> exactly but I think you're right and I, I guess that's the point I was making I think to us that watch Saints a lot you know there's clearly other people that are contributing as much in effort or as much in creativity and things like that you know the goals are obviously the most important thing I guess to outsiders all they're ever see is Southampton scored twice Ings got both of them Southampton scored three yeah. Ings got two of them you know that sort of thing well as yeah, you said you know he doesn't do those things if those 10 other players don't do their job uh, and that is, but then obviously, 
you know, I think we'll all be able to agree that he is by far the club's best player. But, you know, that's no issue. All the time you're scoring goals, then, you know, long may it continue. Totally. Yeah, it's, totally. Not, it's, not like, it's not like Matt Letizia days in his, in his pomp when Alan Ball was the manager where, you know, the, the instruction to the team was basically every third pass it has to go to Matt. <laughs> that, yeah. that, was, that was more a one-man team. And, and he, he was literally our only good player at that time. <laughs> yeah. and he was far away better than everybody else. Danny Ings is, is obviously the guy sticking the ball in the net, but there's no, you know, with a bit with a bit more luck and a little bit more ability, Shay Adams would have scored three times already this season as well. Totally. So I think it's, it's a little it's bit, not, a little bit harsh on Craig yeah. Maskell, Glenn, but uh, there we go. But uh, yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> Steve, just um, you know, I, I guess bringing it back to reality as I always like to do. Um, you know, Saints obviously got the early goal, did well to half time, but then after half time they only registered one shot which wasn't on target. They didn't have any corners or anything like that. So I, I, I suppose. You know, my question would be, Steve, does that matter? I mean, ultimately, they won the game. They saw it out. It was a case of, you know, potentially hold what you got, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it kind of a worry that, you know, at 1-0, you're always vulnerable and a better team than Burnley might have sort of taken two points away from us or something like that? It's a difficult one because I think you've kind of got to assess it on the merits of the situation at the time. I mean, against a better team, we may not have been quite so defensive because we might have we might have tried to sort of burst on, burst on the counter-attack a little bit more. Whereas... Um, I thought last night, every time we won the ball back in decent areas, we weren't really looking to kind of get them turning and, and running behind. I think if I think if Redmond had been um, fit and available, I think we might have done that a little bit more. Maybe sort of ping balls into the channel for him to run into. But I think with the players that were out there, and given that we're probably still not fully up to up to speed fitness wise yet, I think it was it was a game management situation. Um, I mean, we, we got a little bit of space in the last five, ten minutes, I think, where certainly Armstrong had space between the lines on two or three occasions and basically just picked the wrong picked the wrong pass or the wrong timing of the pass every time. And for, for those ones, we could have got in. Ings obviously had that goal di- uh, rightly uh, ruled out for offside. Yep. So it wasn't as if we showed absolutely no ambition to, to go forward. But I think there was a... I mean, it kind of goes back to my point from earlier that I think there was a realization that Burnley weren't offering anything. Yeah, yeah. So there was there was no real need for us to go and get a sec, go and get the killer second goal because one was almost certainly going to be enough. I mean, you only had to look at Burnley's bench and the fact that I mean, Deitch obviously didn't make a didn't make a single substitution um, despite being uh, down in the game from the fourth minute onwards. Basically, is two there were only two players on their bench that had even played a single Premier League minute. Yeah. And they're and they're both fullbacks. Yeah. So I don't I mean, there was there was never gonna be anything there that he was likely to likely to throw at us. So we kind of always knew what we were up against. And I think if yeah, if we're if we're comfortable in that situation, then uh, carry carry on, lads. Totally. I've got to say, I was uh, chuckling to myself while I was watching Ryan Bertrand's game management in the second half with his friends because clearly he had Sean Dyche in his ear telling him to get on with it, and he was just chuckling away to himself. So uh, it was I mean, quite as, entertaining. As, as, if, but, yeah. as if Burnley players wouldn't be well, totally, um, totally. taking taking 45 seconds to take a throw in if they could get away with it. Oh. it exactly. The the only see it one way style. Um, that's a seamless sort of link because uh, I thought the only other thing that was worth talking about really from the game Glenn of course was that uh, Sean Dyche unsurprisingly thought that Burnley should have had a, a penalty in the first half when uh, Jan Bednarek <laughs> got uh, you know I wouldn't even say he got within touch and distance really of Chris Wood but um, just uh, for sort of neutrals listening I mean do you agree that Burnley should have had a penalty because I've got to say from my own opinion uh, it looked like Wood had a little look and then chucked himself to the floor really yeah and, and Dyche is always crapping on about how other players dive and his players don't yep now as far funny, as I'm con- funny how they seem to dive quite a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so as far as I'm concerned, Wood dived. Mm-hmm. Now, I use I use the term dived as a sort of catch-all for initiating contact, or my 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 personal favourite, being entitled to go down, which is com- <laughs> com- complete BS, basically. <laughs> and and he he basically got to the ball, stopped. Bednarek kind of barely touched him and he just collapsed he just collapsed to the floor and to me that that's a horrible dive and the fact that Deitch afterwards is saying that would have been a soft one <laughs> yeah all right mate okay by, by saying it's a soft one you're you're basically saying that your guy dived so 
just just be honest about it. I mean, no, it was it was a horrible dive. Wood, to be fair to him, didn't make that much of a deal about it. I think he'd kind of realised that he probably looked a bit uh, looked a bit silly being the uh, six foot three brawny New Zealander centre forward who just collapsed <laughs> on the ground. But yeah, I mean, Dyche, like most managers, is is full of it, and um, you know, we, we all know what the situation is with penalties this season. It's it's handballs, um, whereas incidents like that if, if they're not given by the referee the VAR is not going to overturn it so uh, move on nothing to see here totally can you just uh, before we do move on can you do your Sean Dyson impression again for us <laughs> well you know what I watched um... <laughs> you need, to, need to chew some gravel first yeah <laughs> yeah oh, I think we should have had a penalty <laughs> That was more like Zippy from Rainbow, wasn't it? <laughs> For those who remember 1970s yeah. children's I TV. I, I, just, no. I just wanted to compare it, actually, because Adam Leach tried one before the Burnley away game at the start of last season. I think probably I'm just, you know, just going to veer towards you in terms of actually sort of nailing that. I think it was slightly stronger. <laughs> next, so, yeah. next, time, next time we get Simon Peach on, get him to do his Roy Hodgson impression. Can he do it, it's can he? Ex- so, yeah. It's excellent. Good, 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 good. I will bear that in mind, Steve. But uh, look, no doubt in Ralph Hasenhutl was uh, very pleased with the three points. Here's what he had to say post-game to SouthamptonSC.com. We had a very good performance today, especially against the ball, especially our defence work today was phenomenal. And uh, deserved win, as I think, because uh, also in the first half we had some really good possession stuff where we played what we want to play. Um, still can do it better in the second half. Had a little bit... Uh, problems with the pressure getting up and up and and I think uh, there we had two less uh, uh, ball possession, not enough uh, calmness on the ball but it's difficult and then they get so much pressure and you invest so much uh, against the ball and you have not the concentration and not the yeah, not the power to, to, to play with the ball and uh, this was the only thing I must criticise today, the rest was definitely okay yeah, you have to have possession here. You don't have to play their game because they are very strong. This ping pong when they play long and you also play long and you don't. This was the mistake we made the last time here when we lost 3-0, and uh, this time we, we we really try to play more and bring it on, bring it on the ground. And yeah, this is key of of, of winning and uh, also then defending and 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 uh, protecting your goal. They, I think I, I saw only one chance, and uh, this against Burnley here, it's not so easy. is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Right, we're going to move on to a part of this week's pod called Transfer Window Latest with Dan Sheldon. It's like Ron Seal, the uh, clues in the title. Basically, I'm going to throw a few link to Saints during the past week names at Dan, and where able, he's going to give us his views on the latest. Where or are they really legitimate links based on Dan's knowledge and contacts, or purely speculative and or clickbait? You ready, Dan? Sounds like a bad game. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I should give out points or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> right, let's start with uh, let's this, start with. This, sure, this surely needs a jingle. Well, I haven't got time to do a jingle, Steve. Sorry about that. So, uh, but uh, we, we'll just get uh, we'll get Glenn to do his like uh, Sean Dyche impression. As if you just say Dan's transfer corners, Glenn, that'll be good in a Sean Dyche impression. Okay, okay, here we go. Hang on, big build up. Here we go. Dad's transfer corner. It's all downhill from there. Oh dear, right, come on, back in, back on the focus. Right, let's start with. We need the... some, we need some players at Burnley. <laughs> don't you know? I might just, I might just stop there and get you to do another half an hour of Sean Dyson impressions. I think. So, uh, right, come on, Dan. Let's start oh, with Ruben Loftus Cheek. That was one that you reported um, at Chelsea as someone that Saints were potentially interested in, like a, a whole host of other clubs. So, um, you know, do you see him as a genuine option and/or likely to come in before transfer window to Saints, Dan? I think, as kind of I relayed in the the piece I did on it you know a lot of Ruben Loftus-Cheek you know there is interest there whether it's a deal they can get done is obviously another thing you know no disrespect to Southampton but you know I'm sure they're not going to be the biggest club that perhaps would be in for him and you know Southampton would be asking Chelsea to obviously pay a fair bit of his wages I think he's on over well over a hundred thousand pound a week so there's no way Southampton are gonna kind of pay that pay all of that whether it will happen or not, I mean, I, I personally can't see it happening. You know, there is interest, so I reported the interest. And then I spoke to another couple of people who shared some more info, basically, on it. And, you know, one of the concerns was, could he actually play in that kind of number six role? 
alongside Prousey or could he not? So yeah, or I I think at this stage in time, I think the Matt Law on the Telegraph reported that there were eight clubs, including we name Saints, but eight clubs interested in Loftus Cheek. I think Villa are one, who obviously they've got a fair bit of money that they're throwing around. So yeah, I, I can't see him coming to Southampton at this point in time. But you know things change. Good. Very quickly in football. West Ham, I reckon. Do you reckon? Uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, they've got... Ham. Yeah, but yeah, but I spoke to someone about that and they said, you know, the minute that West Ham start negotiating Chelsea for Loftus-Cheek, Chelsea will start talking about Declan Rice. And then, you know, it's... But then well, someone West, else mentioned... West Ham aren't spending any money at the moment either. No. I saw, I saw no. David Sullivan say, you know, that he was getting very depressed about the market and that they've got money to spend if they want to. So I guess it's... Yeah, it's, it's unlike West Ham, Steve, isn't it? Because they normally... You know, whack 40 million at a 20 million player or something like that. I mean, they're they're paying the price for having been so brazen in the past because they've spunked so much money up the wall on on players who have basically failed miserably at that mm. club. Mm. I mean, they're, I mean, most of these players are not bad players that they've signed, but they've they've paid way over the odds for them. Not not really had any sort of coherent strategy of how how they're actually going to fit into the team. I mean, they must have about eight eight or nine different sort of diminutive um, handy handy footwork wingers and yet they've got no half decent centre back yeah until that point there I didn't know if you were talking about Southampton or West Ham (laughs) yeah let's move on quickly arguably the point still stands (laughs) (laughs) Um, alright then Dan this one might be a bit briefer I think this was in the same um, Daily Telegraph uh, article as uh, Ibrahim Songaree which we'll uh, come on to in a minute but uh, they mentioned Ryan Sessegnon as someone that Saints were potentially interested in again I don't know what your thoughts are on that I know that wasn't your article no, I did actually write that in my piece that Ryan Sessegnon has been kind of touted around the different clubs. Tottenham obviously want him to go out on loan. I think Southampton were one of the clubs they were kind of touting him around too. Whether or not it's a deal I can see happening, I'm not too sure. You know, there's there'll be a week left for the transfer window to go there. You know, if they sell Buffal, which, you know, they're obviously keen to do, mm. they're going to have to bring another winger in. The, from the most recent conversations I've had, and these were before the weekend, from all intents and purposes, it sounds as if though, you know, the three, Ralph mentioned three signings. I think that will probably be pushing it. Ideally, you're probably looking at two, you know, one, one permanent, possibly one on loan, maybe both on loan, maybe both permanent, you know, I'm going to get quoted on one of them either way, so I guess I'll just cover all three. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Dan Sheldon, so, so for those that want to take some quotes, Dan Sheldon is saying there's a chance a player or two might come in either permanent or loan before the window. That's pretty much it, Dan, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> no names, guys, if you're quoting him, all right? Um, right, let's move on to the, the next one that was last week. It almost pains me to say this a little bit, uh, Dan, but Tom Davis from Everton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not sure about that. You know, he's clearly available, you know, being like fifth or sixth choice at Everton, be someone that, you know, you probably could get out of there. But from speaking to the my colleagues at The Athletic who cover Everton, I think the, the word they described that were Everton were quite bemused by all the talk <laughs> yeah. of Tom Davies and Southampton. So, again, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say in the transfer window because, I mean, it does sound cliche, but things do change quickly and they change all the time. Uh, I'd be surprised if he does come in. I'd also be slightly underwhelmed think we um, would. Yep. if he did come into Southampton. So, yeah, on that one, I mean, it wasn't my story. I think he's certainly on a kind of list of options that the club have. They know he's available if they want him. Are they going to pursue it to the point of, well, we, we're desperate, so let's try and get him? I don't know. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. The last one then... Uh... It's probably done and dusted now because it looks like he's going to PSV, but it caused a lot of emotion on uh, Twitter on Friday. There was people that hadn't heard of him Thursday, but suddenly decided Friday that it was the end of the world, that uh, Saints had missed out on him. Uh, of course, I think it uh, originated from a Telegraph sports reporter in Sheffield, but uh, around Ibrahim Songri at uh, Toulouse. Um, I just wondered what you made of that one, Dan, because we saw Adam Blackmore obviously tweet about the fact that Saints were questioned around the work permit situation. I'm not sure if that's a bit of a red herring for the fact that they've been pipped to the post or whether they're genuinely wasn't any interest I'm not telling asking you to tell us whether there was genuine interest but do you think Saints fans have got a bit carried away with that one or do you think he was a player that they were interested in well I think you know there's on this one I found this one really really interesting I was told that they were very very interested in a, in a, a player to do a permanent deal for the love nor money I couldn't get a name of this player and then I saw Mike McGrath who was right sort of telegraph and is you know 
to be fair to me, is incredibly well connected. And then when I saw that name, you think, well, bloody hell, you know, that is, you know, that is in kind of quotation marks, the Southampton way, you know, this player's young, he'd be cheap because he was in his final year of his contract. You know, I mean, I'd never actually heard of him, but, you know, analysts say he's the best player to never play in the Premier League. You know, he's got all of these things, you know, he'd have a set if he came in, did a good job, he'd have sell on value. So when I saw that name, I thought, ah, you know, that probably is it. And then I saw, you know, like you mentioned there that, you know, there was concern perhaps that he may not get a work permit. I mean, I'm no expert in these things, but if he can get one in Holland, does that not mean he can't get one in England? Uh, I'm not too sure. I don't know. I'd probably have to go and find out. The work, the work permit situation, I mean, obviously it's complicated a little bit more by Brexit as well, but because the player is non-EU, basically it's down to each country as to what rules they, they put for non-EU workers. I mean, are there uh, ever cases where they stop them getting work permits in the Premier League or not? I mean, I generally it's, don't know. It's, I, I don't know. It's, it's, not, pre- not for the it's big pretty clubs. rare these days. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember Ma- Marion Bahars, we had to we had to appeal like three times or something to get, yeah, well, get his yeah. one over the line. Yeah. But that, I mean, back then it was it was a lot stricter. Um, yeah. These days, I mean, I, I, and he was worth it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure they there was something about a year or so ago where they were looking at redoing, basically changing. Like sort of post Brexit, it was going to be the scenario was going to be along the lines of basically, if the transfer fee was over a certain amount, then they would automatically assume the player was good enough and therefore would get a work permit. Um, but previously, it's been you had to you had to be capped by a nation in the top, top six, 75, wasn't it? 75 in in yeah. FIFA rankings, and you had to have played in a certain number of those, uh, that team's games in the previous two years. Now, I think Sangare uh, has got five caps, I think, for... Oh, Christ, whichever... whichever Ivory Coast. Coast. Ivory Coast, Ivory yeah. Coast. I think he's got five caps for them. So, I mean, you kind of think Ivory Coast, quite highly ranked. Mm-hmm. And if you've got five caps for them, you're probably all right. And, yeah. and with a transfer fee being... I mean, we we were talking what ten million ten million euros, I think. Like that, yeah, yeah, it was around that figure, yeah. wasn't it? Um, I kind of think that uh, that would have gone through. That, that a work permit wouldn't have been a problem there. Yeah. And in that in that case, then you know, like I say, I mean, I don't know if this was the player they were interested in, but you know, all things add up to he ticks all the boxes. And like I say, Mike McGrath is very well connected. Uh, he gets a lot. He gets a lot more right than he does wrong. Yeah. Which then it boils down to that you know if he was and Ralph obviously in the week spoke about players that you know they've missed out on then this could possibly fall into that bracket that they've missed out on him um and i you know i'm not a fan myself but you know like i said there's a week left and they need they do need new players and it's all looking at the moment it looks quite desperate i mean i don't know what you three guys think <laughs> oh no we, we're used to this dan it's always a bit desperate <laughs> so yeah not a problem really there's yeah, seven days to go as you say plenty of time yeah, and I mean, if they're getting someone from abroad, yeah. uh, depending on where they're coming from, they may have to quarantine for two weeks. Totally. So then it's it it doesn't but, look great at the moment. I mean, but I'm sure also, I mean to be, to be place, fair though, the transfer window does shut in the middle of an international break. Yeah, yeah. Um, there so we we've go. Got no, no game for after the West Brom game for two weeks. Mm. Yeah. Well, there we go. Well, well it was interesting. That was uh, if a player's on international duty. Yeah. Bit like a, an episode of the Home Office there, but that was cool. So no, that's good. And uh, just finally, Dan, you, you probably sort of alluded to to what I was just going to ask there, because um, as you say, there is over a, a week or so now just uh, until the the transfer window <coughs> slams shut. But uh, obviously, it closes late on the fifth uh, of October, eleven p.m. Um, I just wanted to pick up what you said there um, around Ralph's comments before the Burnley game, because he of course has said, "quote I think we know we need a few more, one or two minimum, maybe three I guess I was just going to ask for your view on that, Dan, because I suppose in terms of him saying that. You know, do you think Ralph is just being honest? As in, I think most of us probably agree we do need two or three players. Or do you think he's just trying to put a bit of pressure on the club hierarchy to, you know, get some support behind him and get some bodies in to, to help him push up the league? Or do you think both? I think it's always interesting when a manager comes out and kind of makes these points. You know, this is their platform to say what or get what they want off their chest and be realistic. It also sounds good to the fans. If you've got someone coming out saying, oh, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if we could sign three players, then you know, that's going to get everyone excited. Uh, I think, you know, behind the scenes, everyone at the club knows that they need to bring new players in. So it's just basically what they're all talking about and Ralph's just going public with it, which isn't a problem. Everyone knows Southampton are in the market for players, so there's no issue with Ralph coming out and saying this, saying the same thing. You know, he says that every, pretty much every opportunity or whenever he's asked about it, he doesn't make any bones. Uh, he won't hide behind the fact that he wants new players. It'll be, in, it's 
almost more interesting if they don't sign any players. And then you then ask him, well, how do you feel now? You know, because he'll he still be optimistic they can get players over the line and I'm sure they can get some deals over the line. You know, whether they can get two or three good deals over the line. I mean, time's clearly up against them, but they could have something up their sleeve that they've been sat on for a week, 10 days that, you know, no one's caught wind of yet. And that could work in their favour. I mean, as I as I've said three or four times in this transfer roundup, you know, things change quickly in football quite a lot. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting week. Dan's transfer corner absolutely well Dan appreciate your honest views uh, of course lots of people take them in different ways but hopefully that gives everyone a bit of a view of what's going on I'm sure if we don't get three signings in there'll be the uh, the normal meltdown but uh, let's see what happens between now and the end of the transfer window and uh, take it from there you're listening to the Total Saints podcast Going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Okay, we're going to end this week's TSP with a look ahead to next weekend's fixture against West Brom at St Mary's. Um, Glenn, it feels like we always get a little carried away in trying to build up optimism for St Mary's these days, but how important is it to follow up on the Burnley game with a positive result against West Brom? Uh, on paper, it's if any game, no game is easy, but this is one of the easier games that we're going to have at home. And it's one that if, if we want to have any sort of decent home record, you've got to beat teams like West Brom at home. Um, They don't appear... I watched a little bit of their game against Chelsea at the weekend, uh, the second half. So they'd scored their three goals, which, as far as I could see, were largely gifts. And in in the second half, they... okay, they're playing a good side, but they they didn't look to have any area of the team that was particularly good. Um, Usually, some teams, you can look at them and say, okay, they've got a good attack, but a ropey defence. West Brom seem to be pretty ropey all over the park. I don't know, I'm probably putting the kiss of death on it there. <laughs> but it it sh- it should be a game that, you know, if we don't get three points, it will be poor. Yeah. And, and, it, and again, like the Burnley game, the performance doesn't matter too much. This is one that they, they really just have to win. Because it will make the league table look decent. That would put us sort of sixth or seventh place in the in the sort of um, early league table. But it, it will... St- you know, give give confidence that, you know, we can beat this sort of team at St Mary's. As I said before, it losing at home to Spurs, okay, that that can happen. Losing at home to any of the big boys can happen. But it's the, it's against the likes of West Brom that we, we really can't afford to be having crap one one draws or one nil defeats, which is, you know, what we did for the majority of last year Absolutely. against against some of these ropey sides. So yeah, so I'm I'm quietly confident as much as I can be that um you know, that we should be able to uh, take three points from this game. Indeed, I should uh, quickly chuck in there, of course, having said that we were minus six points down on last season. Of course, we clawed three of those back because we lost at Burnley and uh, have won this season. So we'll be going into the game uh, on minus three down on last season. But uh, Steve, I mean, I suppose, as Glenn's kind of said, there will be a, a slightly different challenge to Burnley as West Brom do have, you know, some pace in their side with the likes of Robinson and Pereira and Dean Garner, etc., etc. So a different proposition. Yeah, I think West Brom at least seem to have a vague plan at the moment. I'm not sure they're necessarily good enough to execute it against against good teams, but we've seen that our defence can be accommodating to um, absolutely anybody. <laughs> so, yeah, we're obviously going to have to be watchful, but, I mean, it's, it's still a big step up from uh, the Championship to the Premier League. They've largely kept faith with the same players that got them promoted, which usually doesn't seem doesn't tend to end well in the long term. I mean, Dean Garner looks looks useful, and obviously everybody of a West Ham perspective seems to be absolutely seething that they've they've sold him sold him to West West Brom rather than giving him a chance in their team. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately you're you're probably only worried about those two those two kind of almost two number tens effectively in Dean Garner and um, Pereira. I think beyond that, the midfield looks looks relatively weak and the defence is basically a championship defence. And they're a team that kind of stumbled across the line. I don't think they, they won any of their last four games, but because Brentford equally imploded, um, they got away with it. So I think there shouldn't be anything to fear in this game. Um, and it should be us on the front foot, which as long as as long as they kind of keep up their defensive record so far this season I think we'll I think we will actually have some space to to kind of play in I don't think Bilic really knows how to shut a game down 
uh, from a defensive side sort of point of view. Um, as you say, they, they took advantage of some absolutely horrendous Chelsea defending um, yesterday. And it's basically all about us not making the same mistakes. And, and Dan, obviously, you may not have seen the game. appreciate you may have been uh, travelling up to Turf Moor. But certainly the rest of us, as uh, the chaps have said, saw the, the Baggies have a real sort of game of two halves against Chelsea. 3-0 um, up at half-time. And then, of course, drawing 3-3 three, three in injury time, which was probably a useful result for Saints, actually. But uh, I suppose it's hard to know from a, a West Brom point of view, when Saints are thinking about this, Dan, how they may react to that. Whether they'll be buoyed by a really good showing against the top six side or whether they're going to sort of turn up slightly downhearted by throwing away those two points. Yeah, that's a conversation I had with someone on the way back when I was in my car coming back from Turf Moor today was, you know, you do wonder from a West Ham perspective, you know, no one would have expected them to beat Chelsea, you know, or leave leave Stamford Bridge or leave the game with a point. So, but then, you know, so you'd think on, in normal circumstances, they'd be thrilled. You know, we've scored three goals and we've escaped with a point against a, a team that have spent a lot of money this summer and they'd be going into the Southampton game full of confidence but then the caveat to that is they were throwing it up and then capitulated in the second half and Chelsea's quality you know started to show so it is a I kind of think it's six of one half dozen of the other you know for it'll be down to kind of Bilic and to how he portrays that result to his team obviously they're going to be disappointed but you'd like to think he'd try and flip a positive spin on it and say well you know look guys you've scored three goals against a bloody good team take this into next Sunday you know Southampton aren't as good as Chelsea and let's give them a good game. Yep, totally. Steve, despite once deeming himself to be, quote, the best finisher at the club, Teddy Boy, uh, Charlie Austin, or the thing in the shirt, as I know you prefer to remember him by, isn't getting much Premier League action. He's obviously not been on the bench in the last two games, uh, although he has played in the, the Carabao Cup uh, games. Uh, I suppose, um, you know, from a, a Saints point of view, it appears unlikely that, uh, fingers crossed, he's going to come back and cause us any problems. No, he won't be anywhere near the... Um, unless, I mean, unless, unless they suddenly have all three of their... Um, attacking options uh, drop down injured ahead of the weekend then he won't even be on the bench speaking to a mate of mine who's a West Brom fan he he absolutely cannot wait for him to leave just says he's been an absolute waste of space it's it's essentially all the stuff that we highlighted um, a year ago in the like the whole oh well he doesn't move anywhere and and it's it's basically um, the complete polar opposite to what we were talking about, like one of the key things with Danny Ings is that he mucks in and does all the dirty stuff that everybody else in the team is has signed up to do and, and carries out. 100%. Austin, did, Austin had absolutely zero interest in doing that. He was like, well, this is this is the way I play. Deal with it. And our way of dealing with it was to say, you know, cheerio. <laughs> Probably the right decision. Um, Glenn, just finally then, before we do some predictions, um, Dan said last week after the, the defeat to Spurs that if we could beat Burnley and then beat West Brom, six points from four games would still be a decent start to the season for Saints. Um, hard to argue with that. And as we just sort of said there, a real chance to make that a reality now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there was, we would have, you know, obviously preferred not to have got beat by Crystal Palace in the first game. Um, so, you know, a, a really good start would have been nine points. But, once that game's gone, it's gone. So you've got to take each game as it comes, the old cliche. But yeah, six game, six points from four games would be would be damn sight better than we normally start. I mean, normally we're lucky to have three by that point. So um, losing won't be a good look if we do manage to get beat by West Brom. But if we if we can get the six points on this game, then uh, yeah, that would constitute a good start. And uh, if uh, Ralph does get a couple of uh, signings over the line, then I'm sure he'd be uh, relatively happy with that. Indeed, indeed. So uh, let's do some predictions. Firstly, Dan, I owe you a big apology because uh, as one of our listeners noted last week, I said that no one had picked up any points. Of course, we forgot that you were negative and went for a Spurs win at 2-1. So uh, actually, (laughs) uh, you did pick up a point. So you're currently, after three rounds, rocketed to the top of our prediction league with one point and the rest of us are all on naught. So it's pretty exciting stuff, to be honest. Um, So so yeah, I'm sure, you know, it's obviously uh, yours to lose from here. So yeah, I apologise very much for missing that out. Um, There's attention to detail I started the season strongly with my stats. Clearly, they've gone tits up since then. But, uh, um, Glenn, I'm going to come to you first after all that and uh, ask what you reckon for the West Brom game. Uh, Saints to win 2-0. 2-0. All right. Cool. Steve, what do you reckon? Um, I think it'll be yeah, I think it'll be tighter. I'm going to go for a 1-0 win. 1-0 win. And Dan, what do you reckon? Uh 3-1 home win. Oh, correctly. Very bold. Goals galore. Yeah, goals galore. That'll be good. Um, obviously... Uh, 
as everyone knows, that Steve Glenn and myself all predicted uh, Saints to lose at Burnley and they won. So that's a good omen for my ongoing reverse psychology. It's a, a big game against West Brom going into the international break. So I think all of you listening will be very pleased to hear that I'm going to go for a nil-one away win on the proviso that hopefully reverse psychology uh, does what it normally does. Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. Thank you as always for listening to TSP. I think we all feel like it's an easy record and hopefully a more enjoyable product when Saints win. Please don't forget you can get in touch at any point to share any feedback, comments, ideas or questions for us at Total Saints Pod on Twitter. Also look up Total Saints Pod on Facebook or you can get us Total Saints Podcast at yahoo.com. And also please do check out totalsaints.co.uk our website where the latest GDLC ratings are on there, Glenn. Um, who was your man in the match for? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, Vestergaard, Vestergaard, I believe. Vestergaard, there we go, there we go. So yeah, the GDLC ratings are on there. Um, thanks to Glenn, Steve and Dan. Let's enjoy the hard-fought win for this week. Until next week, keep marching in. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.